0: So, Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask for your presence to continue to fill this house. Lord, we've experienced you in worship this morning. We want to experience you as we look at your word. We honor you. Lord, we just declare as a house, we're not letting you go. Lord, we just say with Jacob, we're going to hold on, Lord, until you bless us. Until you move in our midst, Lord until we see our children and our grandchildren and these these schools, Lord, and this community come to really know Jesus. Lord, we're not letting you go. Lord, bless us, we pray. Bless us with a mighty outpouring of your Spirit. Lord, draw the lost, the cold, the stale to Jesus to experience the Gospel to be born again, to have their dead heart beat again as Jesus is preached. Let the cross of Christ be proclaimed with clarity, articulated in a way that causes blind eyes to see. Let the love of God bathe this house. Lord, it's about you. It's for you. We reject all distraction today. Lord, I reject all distraction. And we say we're holding on to you. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Everybody say amen. Well, Charles Spurgeon, you know, the great 19th century preacher, he said this, A sermon without Christ, as its beginning, middle, and end, is a mistaken conception and a crime in execution. A sermon without Christ, as its beginning, middle, and end, is a mistaken conception. It's a mistaken the process of writing it, and it's a complete crime in the process of preaching it. He says on another occasion, the motto of all true servants of God must be, We preach Christ and Him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour. He says, No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home. Never preach again till you have something worth preaching. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1-5, When I came to you, brothers... Secular philosophers will say that Paul is without a doubt the premier philosopher of his day. Paul is an incredibly educated man. He is wise beyond years. He is thoroughly intellectually gifted. And Paul says, when I came to you, I did not come with lofty words of wisdom. I did not come with elegant arguments. Paul said, when I came to you, I decided to preach one thing and one thing only. Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus crucified. And I didn't come to you with charisma. I came to you in the power of the Holy Ghost. Preachers today, we're taught that what we need to do is preach more practical sermons, that what you really want to hear is for us to give these little nice, neat speeches about how you could have a better marriage. If I taught you to have a better marriage, maybe you would come to church. Well, let me tell you to have a better marriage. Men, give yourself to Jesus. Look like Christ your wife will submit. Women, honor Jesus. Look to Jesus again. Give all of your life to Jesus. Make Jesus the center of your home. We're told if we talked more about how to steward your money well, maybe more people would come to church because we're giving good practical advice. Let me give you advice about how to steward your money well. Put Jesus at the center of your finances. And lay up your treasure in heaven, not on earth. For nearly half a century now, many have preached signs and wonders. Just signs and wonders. We need more signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are a part. Of the gospel. I believe in signs and wonders totally, but at some point we need to talk about what the signs and wonders point to. The scriptures say the signs and wonders authenticate that Jesus is Messiah. For hundreds of years now, there have been liberals, what we call liberal theologians in in the West, who have preached. Essentially, that the, the gospel is about social service. There's a recent study that says something like one third of evangelicals do not believe Christ to be God, but only a teacher. The survey is fundamentally flawed because you are not an evangelical if you do not believe Christ to be God. Okay, that's, that's a silly, completely silly statement. Point being that even in evangelical churches, we've gone down this path where all we preach is be kind, be compassionate, care for the poor, serve the downtrodden. And all those things are good and beautiful and a part of the gospel. But if all we do is hand our neighbor bread and never meet their spiritual needs, hand them bread while they head towards hell, there's something wrong with us. It's not just about passing bread about bread out. It's about pressing the bread of life out. And now many of our pulpits are filled with conversation about angelic visions and prophetic dreams and what we've seen on YouTube about the latest prophet. And, and again, I believe in, I believe in angels, obviously. I believe in prophetic visions and dreams, obviously. But if the content of our message is not Jesus and Jesus crucified, then we are distracted at best, if not deceived. It's gotta be about Jesus. Paul warns the Galatians of those who get caught up in angels, always talking about angels, those who get caught up in genealogies, always looking for the new latest revelations through genealogies. And Paul says, I preach Jesus and Jesus crucified. Now we'll pick up Peter's sermon again today from Acts chapter 2. Again, the first official sermon to the church on the day of Pentecost. We looked at the first half of the sermon last week. And remember, I need you to use your imagination a bit. When you're reading a narrative, it's important that you kind of try to picture what's happening. Remember, they're in the upper room and they're in prayer on the day of Pentecost. And the Scripture says that a fire descends from heaven and divides uh, like tongues of fire over each head. The Scripture says there's a great sound, like mighty rushing wind, that fills the room. And so there's this raging sound of supernatural wind shaking the walls of the room. And then they all began to speak in tongues. They don't know what's happening. They're just speaking in tongues, um, in languages not formally known. Unbeknownst to them, they're actually preaching to men and women from different regions. And so men and women from out the world have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And now they're hearing the mighty works of God proclaimed to them in their own language. And they wonder, how can these Galileans know all of our languages? What's going on here? There were two questions asked, one asked by the mocker, or one statement from the mocker. The mocker says, these men are drunks. There will always be scoffers who scoff the move of the Spirit. The scoffer says, these men are drunks. To that, Peter says, by God, it's only nine in the morning. We don't even get drunk that early. (laughs) There is a sincere question asked. What does this mean? What could this mean? And Peter begins his sermon to answer that question. The first part of his sermon, he points to Joel chapter 2, what we looked at last week. He says, this is that which Joel prophesied. This day, what you're experiencing, tongues of fire, men preaching in languages unknown to them, the sound of rushing wind, this is that which Joel prophesied. That in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. The first part of his sermon is about the outpouring of the Spirit in the last days. The second part of the sermon, imagine this. Peter begins to drive all of their attention to Jesus. Peter will preach Christ. The content of Peter's sermon is Jesus himself. Preach it, Ikey boy, go on. It's my baby boy, he's getting ready, y'all. Get that boy a microphone. There's great energy, great momentum. You would say that there are signs and wonders happening on this day, the day of Pentecost, right? There's supernatural wind. There's there's the manifestation of God's fire falling upon the disciples, miracles happening as they preach in unknowns language. This is a day of great signs and wonders. But Peter does not stand and say, Let's talk about signs and wonders. Peter stands and says, The signs and wonders are to point you to Christ and Christ Jesus, Christ crucified, Christ raised from the dead, Christ exalted in heaven. Christ, who is Lord over both heaven and earth. Let's read Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22, reading through verse 41. These are Peter's words again on this day of Pentecost. Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So again, through all the commotion of the hour, the sound of wind, tongues of fire, the sign and wonder of men preaching the gospel in unknown languages, Peter begins to beckon the crowd Consider Christ. This is a true sign of a move of God. It's easy to long for excitement. Church can be so dead at times. You're like, by God, let me have a church that's at least slightly awake. I get it. It's easy to long for excitement. It's one thing to long for the awe and the wonder that settles over a crowd as the presence of God comes. It's easy to want the emotional breakthrough and the feeling of ecstasy as the as the, as the the Spirit seems to be poured out. It's easy to want healing and deliverance. All of those things are good and well and we should long for them. But when the Spirit is really poured out, He draws our eyes to Jesus. Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto Myself. John 16 says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will lead you to all truth and He will glorify me. What is the work of the Spirit? To lead you into all truth and to glorify Jesus. How do we know if the Spirit's at work in our midst? Jesus will be glorified. Jesus will be preached. Hearts will gaze upon Jesus. You will taste and see the goodness of Jesus. You'll really be moved by the blood shed on Calvary. That's how we'll know when the Spirit's at work. It's easy to want to be a signs and wonders church for the sake of signs and wonders. I want to be a signs and wonders church for the sake of causing people to wonder about Jesus. Peter recognizes the movement of the Spirit. The, the, that in this hour, because of the works, the signs and wonders, because of what God's doing, in this hour, they have the attention of the crowd. And what Peter does not say is, I told you so. I told you that we are God's chosen ones. Look at the fire on us. You didn't have any fire. This is about us. Look at, look at me. No, Peter says, listen for a moment. Let me tell you again about Jesus. Church, don't love miracles for miracles' sake. Love miracles for Christ's glory. Don't long for prophecy for the sake of prophecy. Long for prophecy because Paul says that prophecy calls the unbeliever to say, God must be in their midst. Peter begins, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus was attested to you by God through mighty signs, wonders, and miracles. God vindicated Jesus through the outpouring of his Spirit. God authenticated the ministry of Christ through the miraculous. John tells us that through the miraculous, Jesus put on display his own glory. Peter says, you saw the miracles. You heard of the miracles. You know he turned water into wine. You know he healed blind Bartimaeus. You know that he walked on water. You know that he fed thousands with just a few loaves of bread. You know that there were raging storms and he spoke and calmed them. You yourselves know that Lazarus lay in the grave for four days and when Jesus told him to get up, the man got up. You know that God vindicated him. You know God attested that Jesus was the Christ through miraculous works before your own eyes. Even still, Peter says, according to God's foreknowledge, you killed him by the hands of lawless men. Think of the conviction in this moment, Peter standing like a great lawyer. You were fully aware of this man and his ministry of signs and wonders. You were fully aware of his great teaching. You were fully aware that he gave the blind sight, the deaf, their their hearing, that he raised the dead, that he cleansed the leper. You were fully aware that this man was vindicated by God, yet you killed him anyway by the hands of lawless men, but you murdered him out of jealousy, out of rage, out of envy and covetousness because he disrupted the religious system His presence convicted the stale and weak teachers of the day. Peter says, you had him killed. Now he says this primarily to a Jewish audience. You handed him over. Who'd they hand him over to? To the hands of lawless men. The Gentiles aren't off the hook either. The Gentiles were the ones who would execute The Jews delivered him over to the hands of lawless men. And there's a sense in which Peter is saying to the listeners, the death of Christ is on all of you. None of you escaped this charge. Certainly not all of them had a part to play in the direct trial of Jesus. Certainly not all of them were there the day when they yelled crucify him. But Peter says it nonetheless. You still participate in the wickedness of this generation. You take part in the evil of the systems. You embody the culture of religious hypocrisy, of elitism that always murders God's prophets. And as if the Gentiles could nod their heads in affirmation, Peter says, and and they were handed over to lawless men. Your evil system participated as well. Peter is saying to the crowd, you are guilty. You had a part to play this in this And I want you to know that we don't escape that charge either. Jesus hung there on that ancient tree to wear my sin and my shame. Isaiah prophesied that he would be wounded for my transgressions, for your transgressions. He would be crushed for your healing. You have something to do with the death of Jesus. He was crucified and hung there on your behalf. He hung there, bled out there to love you because of your sin. He thought of you in that hour jesus is the lamb of god slain for the foundation of the earth slain for the sins of the world In the ceremonial law the ceremonial worship of ancient israel there would be a lamb or a goat slain the blood would be shed for the forgiveness of the people did the lamb or goat have anything to do with guilt no the innocent was slain on behalf of the guilty And Peter says the same thing happens here. The innocent Lamb of God. Jesus is the only pure, righteous, merciful, compassionate man who's ever lived. He was the kindest man to ever walk the earth. He was pure and spotless. Yet he is murdered brutally because of you and for you. He's an innocent substitution. Peter is laying the death of Messiah on the shoulders of the people. You are guilty, he says. When's the last time you pondered the cross? Have you gazed upon the cross this week? Destiny led us so beautiful this morning singing, the the cross is beautiful. If it wasn't for the cross, then I don't know where I would be. Are you thankful for the cross? Are you moved by the cross? Are you aware of your part to play in the cross? Has it transformed your life? Has it driven you to your knees in a deeper adoration and affection for Jesus? Are you sure you know what it means? Are you sure you know what it's done for you? Peter reminds us that all of this took place in God's will. Jesus says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord and I'll take it back up again. Peter says, you murdered him according to the foreknowledge and plan of God. Meaning, of course, you didn't snuff out the life of Jesus. Of course, Jesus, like a lamb led to the slaughter, allowed you to lead him there. It was God's plan all along. And in God's plan, Jesus experiences a brutal death in order to love you. To open up an opportunity for you to have communion with God. He did it for you, because of you, to redeem me. The pain he bore in his flesh was my pain. The scars he wears on his side, in his hands, on his back that was torn to pieces, those are my scars. The blood that he shed was the blood that I should have shed. That was my punishment on the cross he bore. Until you let that truth sink in, you'll know nothing of what it means to look to Jesus. So Peter says, you murdered him by the hands of lawless men, knowing full well that God vindicated him through signs, wonders, and miracles. You murdered him, but God loosed him from the pangs of death. You murdered, God raised him from the dead. Peter draws attention to Psalm 16, verse 8 through 11, where David says that God will not abandon his holy one to Hades. God will not allow his holy one to see corruption. And Peter draws a simple point here. Jesus is the holy one that David prophesied, whose body would never see corruption. Jesus is the holy one, spoken of old, who would not be abandoned to Hades. Although you murdered him, his body did not rot and decay. He was lifted from that grave. He's victorious over death. Peter says, we know where David's body lies. This is an interesting point. Where where, where? It's believed that David's body lies today is, is in very close proximity to the what's believed to be the upper room, the place where there was an outpouring of prayer. And if, if that's true, some scholars say it's not. But if it's true, then it could be that Peter was standing near the upper room and saying, we know where David's body lies. Over there. It would be very, very close in proximity. There David is over there. You want to go pull his bones out and see the rot and the decay? But he is saying by emphasis but you do not know where Jesus body lies because it's not in a grave David did see death David did rot Jesus was lifted up stands tall over death he cannot be contained by her grip he cannot be held by all of her forces David said the holy one will not see corruption and Peter says look here he is resurrected from the dead Jesus is the Holy One prophesied of old. Then Peter appeals to Psalm 110. Some have said recently that Psalm 110 is God's favorite passage of Scripture because it's the most quoted passage of Scripture in the New Testament. God really likes Psalm 110. He keeps drawing our attention to it. And so Peter appeals to Psalm 110 where Jesus appeals to Psalm 110. In Matthew 22, he says to the Pharisees, who is Whose son is the Messiah? And the Pharisees say, well, the Messiah will be David's son. And Jesus said, well, how is it that David says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit down at my right hand. I was David's son, his Lord. The crowds baffled at his response. Jesus himself pointed to Psalm 110 saying that the Messiah would be greater than David. He would ascend to heaven. He would sit down at the right hand of God to rule and reign over heaven and earth. And Peter says, look, David's Lord has now ascended to heaven. And David's Lord has now sat down at the right hand of God. You murdered him, but God lifted him from the dead. Jesus is the king who is above all kings, David says. Peter says. And Peter concludes the section with this line. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Know for certain. Know because he performed great signs, wonders, and miracles, raised the dead, and then he got up from the grave himself. Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God made him Lord, Master, Sovereign, the Supreme One, Lord, to be obeyed. Lord, to be revered. God gave him dominion and the highest authority. And know for certain that he is Christ. That's just a Greek word for Messiah, Mashiach, anointed. He is the one prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. Where God says to Eve, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. He is the fulfillment of David's seed by which all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He is both Lord of heaven and earth, and he is Christ long awaited for, the one that we laid and wake at night praying for, longing for, anticipating. You murdered him. God raised him from the dead and made him both Lord over you, and he is your Christ. Peter reemphasizes again you murdered an innocent messiah you murdered the lord of the heavens and the earth fully aware of his signs and wonders you had him put to death you had a part to play peter says by implication we had a part to play God commissioned Jesus to endure that great punishment sacrifice so that he might fulfill the ceremonial peace of the law and become the Lamb of God slain for the foundation of the earth, so that his blood might be the blood we put over our doorpost. We needed atonement. Forgiveness is not arbitrary. Some say, why couldn't God just forgive? Because God is a just and holy God. He does not just look over sin. God has not just looked over your sin. He hasn't just turned His blind eye to your sin like a passive father. He's seen it. So much so that Jesus wore it. There was blood shed for it. He doesn't just turn a blind eye to your sin. He cleanses it with holy blood. And after three days of darkness, God raised him up because he's the holy one David spoke of who would not see corruption. Jesus is David's Lord who sat down at the right hand of God. Peter lays all this before the congregation and he says, know this for certain. We are witnesses to it. Know this for certain. You heard of the signs and wonders know this for certain David's body lays in a grave find Jesus if you can he's not there know this for certain he is ascended to the right hand of God where he is both Lord and Messiah know this for certain you are guilty of his death Seth come for me worship team come for me we'll get ready to close I don't know if you've thought about this much. I don't know why I feel led to say this. But the life of Jesus is the most historically attested to life in ancient literature by far. If we, aren't, if we don't know anything about Jesus, some will say, Oh, the, the Scriptures are just a myth. The scriptures, No, no, no. We have at least, at least the number is rising and being authenticated. At least something like 5,800 copies of the New Testament in the first couple hundred years. history, Historically speaking, Jesus is attested to not only in the scriptures, but in extra biblical literature, not only in Christian literature, but in Jewish literature like Josephus, um, in Roman uh, literature like Tactus. um, Jesus is attested to throughout all of history. Jesus is a historical figure. There's no doubt about that. There is no historian that will deny that. Jesus lived and died and was raised from the dead. No shadow of a doubt. And what Peter says to all of us today is you've heard of the signs and wonders. You participated. Your guilt. Your guilt had something to do with his death. And he hung there. He chose to hang there to love you, to cleanse you, to invite you into communion with himself, into communion with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He died there for you and you can continue your life pretending like that didn't happen. You can do your best to skirt that historical fact. You won't skirt it with scholars, I promise you that. It's historically verified. Most scholars will say, if we, if we don't know anything about Jesus, Alexander the Great didn't exist. We have way more information on the life of Jesus than we did Alexander the Great, way more. We know nothing of ancient history if we don't know this. Jesus is risen from the dead. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? There's only two questions to ask today. The first question is this, have you really repented of your sin and cast yourself upon Jesus? Have you run to him and cried out for mercy? Have you really known him? Have you looked at the cross, cried out to have the blood of Jesus wash your life? Have you worshiped him? Is he your only satisfaction? Is he the joy of your life? Have you bowed your knee to him? Have you put all of your faith and all of your trust in Messiah? This morning, as we move into our altar time and get ready to close, the altar's gonna be open. If you need to give your life to Jesus, if you would say, I realize today that I am guilty and I acknowledge that I've never really bowed my life to him, I wanna ask you to come to the altars as we open them up this morning. And one of our altar ministers would be glad to talk with you. Hey, listen, a hundred years ago when preachers preached, oftentimes I'm trying to draw to my attention, draw to my memory here. No Edwards and Spurgeon. When a preacher preached, he would say something like, call the, we would say call. They would say, come to the office tomorrow if you have questions. I'd be happy to talk with you. I wanna say to you, man, if you would say, I, I, I don't know about Jesus, but I have questions, call the stinking office, please. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I will stop what I'm doing to talk with you. If you need to give your life to Jesus, the altars are open today. If you have further questions, call. We, we will pray with you. We will talk with you. Nothing is more serious than what you do with Jesus. There's nothing more important than my schedule. So the first question that lies, are you sure that you know him? Are you sure that you haven't turned a blind eye to an innocent man, God in the flesh, being crucified on your behalf? Are you sure? I understand we live in the South and if your grandma made the chicken for the Sunday, lunch you think you're a christian but have you really known christ you're not a christian unless you've known christ you're not a christian unless you've really bowed your life to christ i also know this and hear me hear me say this well hear me well we've gone down this this road in the last hundred years and you need to know that this has only happened in the last hundred years where we've said to people repeat these words after me and if you repeat the words after me then you're saved repeating the words does not make you a christian Unless the words you repeat really come from your heart and your life is really bowed. I think some of us repeated the words in a rush, but the scripture says that your life will bear fruit when you really give your life to Jesus. And so there's a chance, I need you to know that there's a chance that some of you might've said the words in a rush and got up and left thinking, ooh, I don't have to go to hell now. So my, my question is, have you really given your life to him? known him and second the only other question to ask is if you would say yes i've surrendered to christ i know jesus the only other thing to ask is is christ the heart of your life's message is he the center of your marriage is he the center of your finances what's your prayer life like what do you talk about are you an evangelist for jesus Do you still carry the first love? You know, when you got saved and all you could do was talk about Jesus, do you still carry that first love? Are you still committed to the harvest? Are you still hot, ready to share about the goodness of Jesus? Are you spending time with him? Is your life wrapped up in him? Jesus says, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That was a good old fashioned puberty crack i meant it from the depths of my heart. So if you would stand to your feet, altar ministers, I'm going to ask you guys to get in place. And as always, if you're sick, I'm trying to think, if you're sick or you need healing in your body, if you're going through depression or anxiety, we'd love to pray for you that you would be delivered of that. But today, I want to I open up the altars for those who need to give their life to Jesus. And I want to also open up the altars for those who want to come and just, just say to Jesus again, I'm yours, all of me. Some of you would say, I haven't shared my faith in a long time. I haven't shared my faith in a long time. I want to ask you to come get in the altars today. Let someone pray for you and let's pray that God would put the fire of his spirit back on your life. Maybe you just need a fresh touch of God so that you can continue moving forward. I found myself singing that old song today. I could make it to the end if I could just see your face. If I could just see you, God, I could persevere. If you just need to look on his face again, I want to ask you to come to the altars. And so we'll enter into a time of worship, and the altars are going to be open just for a moment, Now I'll, I'll open us up in prayer. Go ahead and come whenever you're ready. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need your presence. Lord, there are some here who need to bow their knee to Jesus today. Lord, I ask that you'd come against their pride. I ask that you'd bathe them in humility. I ask that you draw them now in Jesus' name. Lord, there are many here who, who need to recommit their life to be about you. We just say right now that as a house we just declare that Jesus will be the center of our message we just declare that the cross Jesus and Jesus crucified will be the thrust of our declaration Lord I've asked you all week and I ask today that every home represented here will become a mission to outpost Lord a place where Jesus is proclaimed a place where where lost souls come to know Jesus. Lord, we just declare right now that we need the fire of God on our lives to preach Jesus. Lord, we do need signs and wonders and miracles. Give us opportunities, God, to preach Jesus. Oh, somebody pray with me today. It's about you, Jesus. And congregation, if you would, let's begin to ask for the fire of God on our lives. Lord, we need your fire. Lord, we need the fresh touch of your spirit. Lord, we need your presence to persevere. Lord, we want to run our race well. We want to see souls come to know Jesus in our day, in our hour, God. We don't want to just read about the great awakenings, Lord. We don't want to just read about the revivals of old. We want to see you do something now in our day, in our hour. Do it in our midst. We need your fire, God. We need your presence, God. Oh, come to the altar. Come pray with me. We need your presence, God. We need presence, God. We need your hand upon our lives. Oh, Jesus, 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 it's all about you. It's all for you. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. For eternity, you'll be exalted alone, Jesus. Let our lives be worshipped. And our lives be worship God
1: the center of it all Jesus ask that you would seal in us a deeper longing for you. Lord, we ask that you would seal in us Lord, rivers of living water that would flow from us. Jesus, you said that if anyone would thirst and come to you, that you would pour out streams of living water in them. So in the name of Jesus, we just receive you, Holy Spirit. We receive the living water today that we would thirst and hunger for more of you, that we've tasted and seen that you're good to us, God, and that you would be the focus of our lives, Lord, to bring you honor, to bring you glory. So we say, come, take us deeper in our lives, Lord. Take us deeper to your presence, into your word, into prayer. We commit ourselves to you today afresh. It's in your precious name we prayed." jesus name amen amen well thank you for for worshiping for being with us this morning we're gonna officially dismiss but if you need just to stay and linger on the altar in His presence this morning feel free to do so we love you be blessed Fresh fire, fresh wind, fresh oil. bring you in fresh fire. Fresh wind, fresh oil. bring you in fresh fire. Fresh wind, fresh oil. fire, fresh wind, fresh oil, breathe you in.